Hello, everyone. It's me, Michael Anthony Judasissi. Welcome to All Things Billy, COVID edition number three. Except this one, I'm winning the fight and COVID is losing it. So <laughs> thankfully, yeah, just about no symptoms today. I think I sound a little stuffy on the microphone, but uh, uh, overall feel uh, pretty good. I still have to isolate for... I don't know, a few more days or whatever it is, and then test and then, you know, come up negative, whatever. So it would be nice to get back to life. But overall, I think I got off pretty easy. And I know a bunch of you have had COVID and maybe had the earlier strains that were uh, a lot more significant. For me, it was just from the neck up. It was like a really, just a really bad cold, uh, you know, head clogged up, couldn't stop my nose from running. Uh, uh, you know, a little bit achy, but um, I just haven't slept. That's the biggest downfall. I have not been able to sleep through the night. But tonight, you never know. You always got another chance. But today, enough about COVID. Let's, uh, let's talk about something else that'll knock you out. And that is <laughs> Billy the Kid's pal, maybe his mentor. Today, we're going to be talking about Doc Skurlock, Josiah G., Josiah Gordon, Doc Skurlock. And uh, good pal of Billy the Kid, um, they uh, they did spend a fair amount of time together throughout their and Billy's lives. Um, I found some things that I didn't know when doing some research for this episode. And uh, of course, Doc Skurlock really made famous by the portrayal by Kiefer Sutherland in the Young Guns movies. And... Uh, that's uh, probably the reason that he's one of the more uh, currently renowned regulators. Because I think in, you know, as popular as that movie was, they could have taken anybody, George Bowers, and and he could have been really famous if they had featured him. Uh, you know, Dirty Steve, I don't know that we know a whole lot about him, but he was a real guy. And of course, Chavez, etc. So uh, we're going to talk about the life and times of the Renaissance man, Doc Skurlock. When we come back to All Things Billy, right after these words. Hey, we're back. So you remember Kiefer Sutherland chasing Yin, Yin Sun down the street in Lincoln and Young Guns? I'm a poet, for God's sakes, carrying flowers in a gun, a big gun. It's a big town. <laughs> and Doc rode with the... Dirty underwear gang out of Liberty, Missouri, which uh, I don't see any. Uh, I don't see any evidence of that either. But um, yeah, that's uh, that's how Doc Skurlock came to prominence. A famous actor in a, uh, uh, I think it was a surprising hit movie um, when Young Guns came out. I don't, I don't know that I, there was a lot of promotion, but I don't know that they expected it to be as big and to be as long lasting as it was. And it absolutely was a reintroduction of the you know, Billy the Kid legend. So, uh, so Doc got lucky there. <laughs> and if not for Young Guns, um, then uh, our friend Scott Skurlock, my buddy, might never have known that much about Doc Skurlock and never would have pursued to find out his family history. Um, I did hear from a lot of you after the, uh, after the Scott Skurlock interview, and they, and you said, wow, I mean, I'm disappointed. It was good, but I don't know anything more about Doc Skurlock after that hour-long talk. And I think that's the point. 
I mean, I really think that's the takeaway is that Doc so completely turned off his past when he left New Mexico that he was just not going to let that creep into his future. And, and the fact that, you know, Scott and, and there's, and there's so many of Doc's family members still around and all of that exists that Doc just simply shut up about it and he didn't write about it. He didn't talk about it. He didn't confide in anybody. He just shut it down. And whether he was embarrassed by it, afraid that people would come after him, whatever it may be, I think he decided, hey, that's one life. Now I'm getting another one and I'm going to live it differently. So, but we'll talk about that. Anyway, let's get to the uh, the uh, detail. Doc Josiah Gordon Skurlock. Born January 11th, 1849. My birthday's January 19th, if you want to note that on your calendar. So both Doc and I are Capricorns. Stubborn, um, charming, alarmingly handsome. <laughs> well, I know the stubborn part. That's about it. I'm not sure what else Capricorns are known for. But born uh, 1849 in Tallapoosa County, Alabama. That's Tallapoosa, Alabama. I love that. That really rolls off the tongue. Um, the sixth of 11 children, which was probably kind of an average size family back then. Priestly Norman Skurlock, Priestly, and Esther Ann Brown. So there you go. Um, Alabama. Doc, uh, early in his life, let me get to the right uh, notes here goes to study medicine in New Orleans, uh, apparently at Charity Hospital in New Orleans, New Orleans. And uh, New Orleans had suffered a yellow fever uh, epidemic or pandemic, 1853, uh, late 1860s. So Doc is uh, 20 years old, close to 20 years old. Um, he goes to study medicine. And in 69, he packs up and heads for Tampico, Mexico. Um, and there's a yellow fever epidemic there. So did Doc go to save the day? Here I come to save the day. I mean, the, the early actions of this guy studying medicine, going to help people in need, don't uh, portend a uh, captain of the regulators, a uh, killer of lawmen, and uh, and Doc was involved in you know, more than, more killings than just in the Lincoln County War. Um, it's kind of interesting that uh, he really started off as an intellectual, um, not that he wasn't when he was part of the regulators, but he, he followed, seemingly followed a much different path. Um, but when Doc is in Mexico, he's in a card game. Um, this is the, the story, the popular story. And uh, there's an argument in the card game and doc and the guy he's arguing with both draw their pistols and fire docs two front teeth are shot out and the bullet goes out the back of his neck and you know goes somewhere after that it's probably lodged in a piece of wood somewhere in a i don't know and the other the uh his uh antagonist is killed um crazy <laughs> A card game. I don't know if you can imagine a card game today where you both pull your guns out because you're arguing and shoot each other. Like that's it. You lose because you'll be dead. That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty ballsy. But I mean, both guys drew apparently based on you know witness testimony, and uh, yeah, and Doc, I, he wasn't quicker to the draw, but he's somehow better to the draw. 
and uh, and knocks his two front teeth out and then goes out the back of his neck and Doc kind of walks away. I'm sure he got some medical attention. Like, I don't think he went out and got some mud and stuck it on there. That's what the guys used to do when we played football. If they got cut open, they just <laughs> spit on it and put some mud. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty crazy. So uh, Doc leaves Mexico at some point in the early 1870s. Okay. Um, 18, seven, oh, uh, the, the mustache that you see, uh, Doc Sport, and there, there's actually a pretty good handful of pictures of him. Um, you know, handsome guy, kind of, uh, you know, square face, but he's got the big mustache. It's, some people say he grows the mustache to hide his missing two front teeth. So he would be a little, maybe vain, um, that, uh, he didn't, it wasn't like you'd pop on into the, you know, local dentist and they'd make some, uh, uh, make some uh, veneers. I guess there was nothing to veneer it to, but you know, some replacement teeth and put them in and you'd look like a Hollywood movie star. But Doc was enough vain enough that he grew that big mustache and apparently had it for uh, the rest of his life. So uh, 1873, Doc and a guy named Jack Holt are ambushed by a group of Apache Indians and Holt is killed. Doc uh, escapes, takes cover, and uh, has a shootout, one against many, and he kills the Apache leader, uh, winds up having to make a long walk that night under the cover of darkness to escape. Um, he's uh, working for uh, Chisholm. Uh, I want to get this right for you, so stand by just for one second. I, I missed a, uh, yeah, there we go. Uh September 85, Doc's riding with Newt Higgins, and Newt Higgins is killed by Apaches. Uh, Doc's upset. He's working for Chisholm as kind of a, uh, a cattle uh, protector, you know, cowboy, but but mostly protecting his cattle from being stolen. And uh, Doc wants to quit. He's got two of his buddies that have been killed now, and Doc has escaped slimly by a slim margin both times. Uh, Chisholm apparently is upset with Doc and says, uh, screw you. You want to quit? Fine. I'm not paying you, which might have been, you know, a Chisholm trait, <laughs> you know, as we, we've heard uh, from his involvement with Billy during the Lincoln County War. Um, but Doc makes the newspapers, the Santa Fe New Mexican, which is still uh, in publication today. On Saturday, May 15th, 1875, publishes, we received information too late for last week's issue that a young man by the name of J.G. Scurlock, usually known as Doc Scurlock, a little previous to the May 11th, stole three horses, two saddles, and a gun from parties living in New Mexico and made his way to Arizona. He's described as being 22 years of age, between 5 foot 8 or 10 inches high, light hair, light complexion, front teeth knocked out, writes a very good hand, quick spoken and usually makes a good impression on first acquaintance. Oh my God. The flowery reporting of the times is just incredible. Also is a great dancer and prefers uh, firm cheeses. To, to <laughs> like, where do they get this stuff? Oh, it's so great. Uh, so uh, doc does make the uh, Santa Fe, New Mexican um, and uh, apparently heads to Arizona. Interesting because Billy gets in trouble in Arizona and heads to New Mexico. Doc steals from Chisholm. I, I, I guess they would have arrested him. Um, I mean, it's it's uh, he stole three horses, and uh, you can hang a horse thief. Uh, 
So I, I would assume he'd have to get somewhere, but riding over state lines, um, I guess he wanted to go to Arizona because he could have gone anywhere. And Chisholm's, you know, operation is east of, uh, you know, to the eastern part of New Mexico. So it's a pretty good ride that Doc has to undertake to get out of there with his three horses, two saddles and a rifle. Uh, when he's in Arizona, he meets Charlie Bowdry. Where, when, why, how, a um, little bit lost to history. But Bowdry is, you know, in western New Mexico. And the and this is, I've heard this a number of times. I can't find any documentation of it. Um, but we've talked about it before, that Doc and Charlie open a cheese factory along the Gila River about 1875. And there's no, <laughs> there's no, uh, uh, like a cheese factory building, you know, Doc and Charlie's cheese, uh, you know, a cheesy Charlie's, <laughs> you know, there, there's nothing, there's no building now that you can go to. There's no business records from the time that you're going to find. Uh, I don't think at this late date that, you know, the business license for cheesy Charlie's, you know, uh, uh, edibles or whatever edibles that has a different meaning these days uh so you're not going to find that but but the story persists and and then the, that story is made uh, even more interesting by the fact that they hire a young man who's existing on the in the hinterlands of the border between new mexico and arizona named billy bonnie so that's 1875 by 18 uh yeah and the and the kid will you know commit a number of uh, depredations along the border until he kills Wendy Cahill and then leaves Arizona for good, or at least we think for good. So uh, uh, east of or near Globe, Arizona, on the Gila River, Cheesy Charlie's, I got to come up, somebody come up with a good name or a good slogan. Um, and Doc says it's good for what ails you. <laughs> Uh, but apparently, way back then, you know, 1876, 75, 76, uh, three men who will be inexorably linked just a few years later in life meet together at the cheese factory. Yeah, Billy, Charlie, and Doc. And they are uh, making cheese and breaking hearts. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, Doc and uh, Charlie are going to make their way uh, further east. We're back east into New Mexico. Billy's going to exist with the Jesse Evans gang for a year or so before uh, all these things uh, start to uh, coalesce once again. So uh, we'll uh, talk more about Doc's uh, time as, before the regulators, where he and Charlie lived, what they did, their marriages. And then, of course, we'll get into the Lincoln County War. And then we'll talk about the final curtain call. The curtain falls on Doc's memories of New Mexico. And he never, ever speaks of them again. We'll get to that after this. And we're back with the life and times of Josiah G. Doc Skurlock. So uh, when we left... Our friends, Billy, Charlie, and Doc were grinding away on a cheese wheel in uh, far eastern Arizona. 
And uh, I wonder how that business did. Like, um, like, did they, you know, get started and go, wow, this is it, man. Like, we're going to open a whole raft of cheese factories all over the West. You know, Cheesy Charlie's. Yeah. What, what's the cheese that starts with D? To, uh, to, like, I'm trying to work Doc into it, but I can't come up with one. But uh, yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna do this forever, man. We found our our passion, making cheese. And then I guess at some point, I mean, I you, you'd have to imagine they're probably not making much money, <laughs> because if you've got a successful business, you probably don't go back to Lincoln County, you know, as a hired gun. But uh, I guess it didn't work out. Anyway, uh, uh, the kid uh, continues his activities along the border, and with the Jesse Evans gang, as Doc and Charlie head back to Lincoln and uh, they uh, buy some property from uh, LG uh, Murphy, Murphy Dolan along the Rio Rodoso. Uh, so near, not too far from Tunstall, uh, very near to where Dick Brewer had his place as we talked about. So these guys are all kind of falling in with each other. And, uh, and you've got to imagine, even if they're not best of friends, which they, they could have been, but they're very familiar with each other. They see each other. They ride in posses together. Um, uh, George Coe also uh, has a uh, ranch down there. And so uh, the, uh, the, 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 the situation's pretty good for a while. You know, we got some land. Yeah, we got this ridiculous <laughs> note on the land and a usurious interest rate. But, you know, we'll, we'll work that out. We'll make it up in volume. And uh, we got some friends here and there's pretty girls around and they have a, uh, uh, they have dances, you know, this is, it could be a lot worse. I think we'll hang here. It's better than staring at cheese all day. So, uh, anyway, uh, doc and, uh, the other, uh, inhabitants along the Rio Ruidoso, uh, notice that their, their horses, their cattle are disappearing. So, Somebody says, hey, one of the thieves is jailed at Lincoln. So uh, George and Frank Coe, Ab Saunders, Doc Skurlock, Bowdry ride into Lincoln and take Jesus Largo from the jail, who's purportedly this one of the rustlers, and they just hang him. Sold. <laughs> yes, guilty. Judge, jury, executioner right there. Um. No charges are ever filed. Saturnino Baca is the uh, sheriff at that time, and he doesn't do anything. I wonder, you know, if the sheriffs then, if they've got a guy who they know he's guilty and they know he's got friends that are going to cause trouble, I wonder if they just don't care. Like if they go, hey, you know what? Some vigilantes coming in, this makes my job easier, and I don't have to worry about being, you know, assassinated you know, by the, this guy's friends. I don't know that to be true, but it just seemed like it happened an awful lot that people were, you know, given some vigilante justice and nobody ever tried them for anything. They just kind of accepted it. But I guess you're that far out on the frontier. Sometimes you've got to be your own law. Uh, over the next year, as the guys are settling in to the uh, to uh, Lincoln County, uh, Brewer and uh, becomes friendly with the guys, Dick Brewer, um, and uh, 
they raise a number of posses to go after cattle thieves, horse thieves, et cetera. Brewer proves to be pretty good at it, which is probably why he is voted, you know, elected, appointed the first captain of the regulators. He's younger. Uh, at this point, uh, Charlie's about 30 or almost 30. And uh, Doc is 29. Brewer is, what, 26? So, uh, but just by a few years. So there's an incident at Blazer's Mills, not the one that you're thinking of, not the one where Dick Brewer lost his life, but somebody did. That somebody was Mike Harkins. And uh, Harkins is the uh, store storekeep at the at a you know general merchandise mercantile in Blazer's Mills, and Doc's there. And he's looking at a pistol and he accidentally shoots and kills Harkins, who's the store manager, and also happens to be a friend of his. Now, look, these guys, I, I, again, I wasn't there. These guys grew up with guns in their hand, right? I mean, from, a, for, you know, from their teenage years. They are around firearms, maybe even younger than that. They're handling firearms. They're fighting with firearms. How do you go into a store and shoot and kill the manager by accident when you're a 29-year-old guy who spent, you know, at least the last decade handling firearms? How does that happen? And by the way, if you're Mike Harkins, you know, rest in peace, Mike, sorry. But if you're Mike Harkins and you're the the, the store keep and uh, and Doc comes in and goes, hey, uh, hey, Mike, how you doing? Hey, Doc, nice mustache, looking good. Got any cheese on you? No, no, I don't have any. Well, uh, Mike, I'd like to uh, see that uh, Colt right there. Yeah, yeah, sure. Here, let me load it up so you can uh, shoot it around here in the store. Like, why is a gun loaded that's for sale? When you go to any, I, I hope, <laughs> when you go to any gun shop today, Every gun is obviously, very obviously not loaded. And then when the uh, the salesperson hands you the gun, they take it and clear it in front of you so that you can see it to make sure it's not loaded. But the uh, the norm of the day back, you know, 1877, I guess, wasn't that. I guess it was, hey, it's just loaded. And if you like it, pull the trigger. And if Mike Harkins happens to be in front of you, well, bye-bye, Mike. Boy, that really sucks. I mean, it really sucks. Now, if it truly was an accident, total accident, it was, you know, obviously a bunch of uh, failures along the way. You hand the guy a loaded gun. Maybe he doesn't know it's loaded. If he does, he pulls the trigger while he's got the, the muzzle, you know, covering his friend. I mean, just horrible uh, uh, gunsmanship, I guess, uh, or firearms handling. But But if it was truly an accident, that's the kind of thing I would imagine would have to haunt you. I mean, that's one of the things that when Doc gets over the border to Texas and says, I'm done with New Mexico, I'm done with the Lincoln County War, I'm done with all this, that's the kind of thing I think that you want to forget. And maybe you don't talk about so you can try to push it out of your mind. But it just seems like a horrible occurrence to kill a friend accidentally. And that friend was looking to sell you the very gun you killed him with. 
So, sorry, Mike. October 19th, 1876. Doc gets married to 16-year-old Maria Antonia Herrera. Herrera. How's that? And Charlie marries her sister. They become brothers-in-law. They're friends. They're cheesemates. <laughs> and then they become brothers, brothers-in-law. Uh, she's 16, Maria. And Doc is 29. I don't think that's unusual in those days. And what? I mean, a 13-year age difference. If you're a uh, 43-year-old man or woman, you marry a 30-year-old. I don't think it would raise eyebrows these days. But back then, I think it was actually pretty common. And it actually will prove to be a, a fortuitous move for Doc later in life to marry a wife so young. Because Doc is going to want to have a lot of kids. And... You know, his wife's got to be young enough that she'll have all of those childbearing years when he gets set to, you know, start the family, I guess. Okay. Uh, Doc and Charlie get hired on by Brewer to uh, work for John Tunstall. They've still got their own spreads on the on the uh, Rio Rodoso. And, of course, you know, the Lincoln County War breaks out. We're not going to. Every time we do one of these, we're not going to review the entire Lincoln County War. So uh, the war starts, Brewer is in command. And he's killed at Blazer's Mills. Right where Mike Harkins was killed. And Buckshot Roberts was killed. Blazer's Mills is a killy kind of place. Uh, Doc does, uh, does not take place in the murder of Sheriff Brady. But uh, Brady's widow complains during her testimony that Doc Skurlock has tried to shoot down my eldest son and have murdered my husband. Not satisfied with this, they now want to kill my boy. Now, I don't know that to be true, that the regulators went after Brady's sons. I guess you, I mean, I guess if you were uh, worried about vengeance, I guess you would. If you ever saw The Godfather 2, when Mikey Corleone is back in uh, well, he's back in Corleone, Corleone. Uh, he's back in Italy and he's the, and they, they're, uh, they're reviewing his father's life and his father Vito is, you know, they, uh, his father gets killed. The godfather's father gets killed by a local mobster. And so the widow has two boys left and they kill the one boy when he's going to the funeral. And then, and then she begs the the godfather, the, the the mobster, to spare her youngest boy Vito because he's not very he's he's not too smart, you know he he's he's not a threat to you. Look, he doesn't even talk. And the godfather, the uh, the the mobster says, ah, but he'll grow up big and strong, and then he'll come to kill me. And they shoot and kill the woman after she puts a knife to the mobster's throat, and little Vito runs off and doesn't uh, and doesn't get killed. And sure as hell, he doesn't come back to avenge his father and brother and mother's death, but his son does. So even that, you know, that uh, kind of uh, uh, 
uh, not very intelligent young boy was targeted. And I could imagine the regulators might go, hey, you know what? This war might be over soon, but those kids are going to keep growing. They know we killed their their dad. And maybe we got to get rid of them too. Horrible choice. It was a horrible choice to kill Brady, but pretty horrible choice to go after their sons too. So Brewers killed April 4th, 1878, Blazers Mills. Frank McNabb, then appointed captain of the Regulators, has a few small incidents, but McNabb is ambushed and killed. And Doc becomes the captain. He's the next guy that they look to, to be able to run the Regulators. Uh, his first uh, operation is down at Seven Rivers, and he gets together about a dozen regulators. There's a Dolan uh, camp down there where they've got their cattle. Regulators scatter the herd and the herders, and they grab about 25 horses and some mules, and they capture Dolan's cook, his camp cook, uh, Manuel Segovia. Segova, I think it's Segovia. Uh, at least I always thought it was, uh, but nicknamed Indian. Uh, if it's Segova, then I, my apologies. Uh, and they kill him, probably just because they could. Uh, it's thought that Indian was in the posse that killed Tunstall and was the man who killed Frank McNabb. There's no other uh, reporting or testimony that I've read that Indian was with the three men who rode Tunstall off the trail and killed him. He may have been in that that sub-posse that chased him. So yeah, I mean, you're guilty if you did that, but uh, I don't think he was the one that pulled the trigger, but he may have been the guy that pulled the trigger on McNabb. And so Skurlock avenges that wrong. So, the war continues, but really, Doc oversees very ineffectively the five-day Battle of Lincoln. And uh, that would prove to be the decisive battle. Well, it's the final battle of the Lincoln County War, but certainly it was the decisive one. And what happens is that uh, the regulators come in, they split into three sections, you know, strategically a good idea, except they can't communicate. There's no cell phones. There's no hardwired phones. There's no telegraph. There's no way for them to communicate. And so when Dolan's men, you know, make their way in, they can, you know, kind of threaten one of the three uh, buildings. Doc is at the uh, Ellis house the east end of Lincoln. He's got Coe, Bowdry, Dan Dietrich, Middleton, Dirty Steve Stevens. Um, the, uh, there's another 20 guys in the, roughly 20 in the Torreon, if I remember correctly. And that's kind of central Lincoln, north side of the street. And then there's another 20 at the McSween house. So on, on paper, you look at it and go, hey, good strategy. We control you know, all areas of town. If you know where the Ellis you know, store B&B is, so you got that, and then you got another 
I don't know, a couple hundred yards up the road to Torreon, then a couple hundred yards or, or maybe even less, maybe a hundred yards to uh, McSween's house. And with at McSween's house, you do have, I'm, I'm trying to remember, like think in my mind, the eye line, but I think you can, you can see the house. You can see the Murphy Dolan store. I'm pretty certain. And there was not a lot of trees in Lincoln at that point. They'd cut everything down for firewood. So you you could look at that and go, hey, we've really deployed our forces uh, effectively here, except there's no way for them to communicate. And when Dolan's men come in, now you can't just walk the streets. You can't have these, you know, back alleys or back channels to get. So and Dudley arrives with the Gatling gun and now the 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 guys in the Torreon can't fire up towards them because they'll be firing right over the heads of soldiers. The guys at the Ellis store are too far away to do anything. So it was a, a good idea, a, a poorly executed idea. What was the what was the line from the movie Taps when they're trying to get the kids to come out at the end? Wrong execution of the right idea or something along those lines. I can't remember exactly what it was. But uh, Doc was in control. And eventually Doc makes his way to the McSween house uh, and, and helps, you know, as part of the escape. But it's too late by then. I mean, the regulator forces are are diminished to, you know, 10, 12, 15 guys. Everybody else, you know, has to just watch passively from somewhere else or has fled the town because Dudley's in, in between them. They can't get past them. They can't fire past them. They can't do anything. And I think Dolan knew this and Joe pressed his advantage. So that was, uh, that was the end of the Lincoln County war and doc (laughs) retires, I guess, as captain at the conclusion of the war, he's mustered out as captain of the regulators because the war is over, but the regulators will continue. And what they do when they continue, we'll talk about right after this. The Lincoln County war has ended, ended, but Doc and the regulators are still pissed. And uh, the five-day battle is over. Doc and his, uh, his men need more horses. Billy is essentially in control of the regulators at this point. So uh, Doc and the boys ride down to the uh, Mescalero Apache Indian Agency. They uh, are intending on stealing some fresh horses. And uh, they become involved in a gunfight with some of the Mescaleros. Morris Bernstein comes out of the building toward the shooting and was killed. Who killed him? Don't know. Speculation is it was the regulators, maybe even Billy specifically, but there's no definitive, I mean, there's no uh, uh, forensic team that went there and tried to decide what, what happened. And Billy and Doc were not charged with that killing. And that's enough for Doc and Charlie. They tried the cheese thing, didn't work out. They tried the farming and ranching thing, didn't work out. They tried the war thing, and it didn't work out. So now they're going to try the Sumner thing. And the regulators actually help Doc and Charlie move to Fort Sumner. Now, this is interesting because I'm not going to spend much time on this, but this is about the time where the famous or infamous croquet picture would have been taken. 
on their way out of town to Fort Sumner. Yeah, very slim timeline, right? That first week of September, 1878. But the, uh, I mean, Clearly, if the identifications are correct, uh, Charlie and Manuela Bowdry are in that picture. So, um, but the, the, the guys are headed to Sumner to get some real work that doesn't involve killing. And uh, Charlie's going to get a job as the foreman of the Yerby Ranch. Doc's going to work for Pete Maxwell. And uh, they've got their women their their brothers-in-law, they've got good cheese recipes in case they can want to fire that business back up. Um, and they're looking for a change of life. Can't blame them at this point. I mean, you've, you've essentially been run out of Lincoln County by the now bankrupt Jimmy Dolan, who won the war but lost them. He won the battle but lost the war. But they, But everybody lost. Your, your captain, Dick Brewer, your employer, John Tunstall, his attorney, McSween, they're all dead. So I don't think there's a lot in Lincoln County for those guys. And this is probably the difference from Billy. Doc and Charlie are thir uh, 30 years old, roughly. Billy's not yet 20. A 30-year-old has a way different perspective on life. A married 30 year old uh, who's, you know, had some living, had some, a lot of fights. It's just a way different perspective. I think it's easier for somebody at that age to go, you know what? It's just time to move on. And there's really nothing there for me. Even if I like the town of Lincoln, there's really nothing there for me because of everything that's come before. And I, I, as I've, you know, lived my life, I've talked to a number of people. I travel a lot for work and I get to meet people all over the country, all over the world. And, you know, where are you from? Those kind of things. And, you know, they tell you, oh, this is, you know, my hometown or this is where I lived a long part of my life, but there's really nothing for me there anymore. You know, I, I can't go back. It was nice. I liked it. I would go back, but, you know, there's, there's some demons, there's some skeletons in the closet, those kind of things. You hear that a lot. And I, I've got to imagine that that's the way Doc and Charlie felt at this point at the conclusion of the war that, you know, it's, it's just over. It's just over Johnny. And so uh, they settle down in Fort Sumner and that really should have been it. I, and it should have been it, but through uh, some different channels, the regulators reach out to Dolan and Jesse Evans and say, Hey, look, you guys want to want to shake hands and put this behind us? And uh, Evans and Dolan send a message back that in essence says, come on, come down to Lincoln. And let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. So uh, in 1879, let me see if I have the exact date. I don't think I did. Yes, February 18th. Ah, one year exactly to the day that John Tunstall was killed. A year later, they all meet kind of across the, the wall from behind walls and fences in Lincoln. And Doc went back with Billy, Tom Folliard, Enio Salazar, as the regulators faction uh, to meet with uh, Dolan and Jesse Evans and see if they could find some way to make peace. 
Why did Skurlock go back to Lincoln? I, I don't know. What I believe, or what I think could have been the driving force was, hey, I'm still living in New Mexico. Yeah, I'm in Fort Sumner. It's 100 miles away, but 100 miles ain't that far. I got a wife. I want to start a family. I think I'm going to stay here. And so maybe I better find a way to make peace with these guys because I don't want a bullet, you know, going in the back of my neck this time and then coming out the front of my face and killing me. And so Doc may have looked at it as some preservation measure because it was pretty clear at the end of the five-day battle that eh, I'm moving on. We're getting out of here. There's nothing more for us. But they uh, they go on February 18th, and uh, they start with, uh, as I remember, some harsh words between the parties, Jesse Evans and Billy, but they all come out, and they talk, and they agree to a parlay. They agree to a deal, which I think somebody even writes down. I think somebody kind of, you know, gets the pencil out and scratches it out. And they all agree that no one in this group, this new newly parlayed group, will testify against anyone else in the group without first formally withdrawing. Right? Think about that. So we're friends or we're not going to kill each other. So we'll have peace. And nobody, if some, some you know, court subpoenas us, we're not going to testify against anybody else in the group. None of us will, unless we formally withdraw from this first. In other words, let us know it's coming so we can kill you before you testify. And Billy will break that promise. He'll break that bargain very, very quickly when he contacts Lou Wallace. But we're not there yet. Um, in any event, uh, that uh, night doesn't end well. The guys go from uh, place to place, drinking, getting louder. They wind up out on the street drunk. Houston Chapman, who's a, an attorney representing Mrs. McSween, comes out on the street. They have a verbal altercation. Somebody shoots Chapman. They either light his clothes on fire, which doesn't really make sense, uh, or the the uh, charges, the, uh, the, the uh, cartridges close enough to his clothes that the, the, the powder uh, flare or burn lights his clothes on fire, and they just leave his body there to burn in the street. Horrific. One-armed lawyer, Houston Chapman. And Billy sees this, apparently not drunk, Billy and Tom. And uh, so they, the, the guys continue to go on their way. We're going to keep celebrating. Screw this burning lawyer. And somebody says, hey, we probably should make this look like self-defense. Somebody should go plant a gun there. Billy volunteers to do it. Uh, of course, he never does. He and Tom get out of town and immediately, almost immediately break the bargain when they get to San Patricio and Billy writes to the governor saying, hey, I know who killed the lawyer and I'll testify against him. He never formally pulled out of the parlay. So for those that, uh, I, I, look, you can believe whatever you want about anybody you want, but for those to believe that Billy was this virtuous, make, you know, stand by your word no matter what, no, he really wasn't. I don't, killing Houston Chapman was, you know, horrible. But Billy said, I won't testify against you unless I pull out of this. He didn't, he didn't go back to Jesse Evans and Dolan and say, hey, I'm pulling out of this and I'm going to contact the governor and testify against you guys for the murder of that lawyer. Never did that. Now you might say, well, if he showed up, 
to try to pull out of the agreement, they would kill him. Oh, maybe, or maybe he could have sent word. But he did not keep his word, at least in this instance. So do with that information what you may. So the kid surrenders to uh, uh, Sheriff, uh, is it uh, Copeland? And uh, they uh, they put him in uh, house arrest at Juan Patron's place, the Casa de Patron. And a Casa de Patron, by the way, I don't know that it's a bed and breakfast anymore. I think I mentioned this in an earlier episode. I, I, I believe the woman that bought it is an artist, so it may be her art gallery, but I don't know that they actually rent rooms anymore. So the Patron House Bed and Breakfast, which is modeled after Casa de Patron in my Back to Billy books, well, now you can't stay there. <laughs> but anyway, uh, they are jailed, you know, on, under all the most uh, lax rules you could imagine. You know, they're, they're free to go with their arms to go out, um, uh, out among the street. And they uh, eventually they just walk out of, oh, it's Sheriff Kimbrell. Um, they have 27 days later, Billy, you know, sees the governor leaving town and, uh, and he hasn't done anything. There's no lax treatment. There's no, uh, exemption from prosecution. There's certainly no pardon. You have to be convicted of something to be pardoned, pardoned. And so, uh, Billy and doc and everybody just leave. They go back to Fort Sumner. But Doc, for one, you know, Doc can't quit Billy. He's got some kind of thing. Maybe it's that background in cheese, but uh, in the fall of 79, Doc joins with uh, Billy, Folliard, Bowdry. They steal cattle from John Chisholm, 118 head. And now the law is coming to look for them. And finally, Doc says, you know what? That was stupid. I should have just left. We got out of Lincoln, Jesse Evans and Dolan, even though I didn't rat them out, I'm in jail here and I'm with Billy who did rat them out and broke the terms of the agreement. And so I'm probably a dead man. So we're going to get out of here and I'm going to go back to Sumner. And that's the point that Doc probably should have just kept riding, but he didn't. He went on one last excursion. They stole cattle. And now the law is coming for him. And that was it. Those are the final moments in Texas of one Josiah, or in New Mexico, rather, of one Josiah Gordon Skurlock. And so Doc heads for Tascosa, Texas. And he gets to Texas and at some point thereafter gives up his life of uh, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> to crime, uh, fighting, violent violence. That's probably the best way. Just gave up, gave up. In the, uh, let's see, 1880 census. I have it here somewhere. Do, do, do. 1880 census in Potter County, Texas. Doc is the keeper of the mail station of the postmaster. So pretty quickly established himself there. And uh, here's something I came across that I'd never, ever heard before. Never, ever, ever. There are reports or suggestions that Billy, after escaping from 
the Lincoln County Jail. And uh, what we thought was uh, just... I'm getting to Tascosa. And getting to uh, uh, what we thought was Fort Sumner. Actually went and spent a few days with old Doc. So let's see from Fort Sumner, Tascosa. Dang, that's 167 miles. It's actually a little further. That's to Amarillo and Tascosa is to the north and west a little bit, I think. It's 167 miles from Fort Sumner. And Fort Sumner is 100 miles to Lincoln. That seems like a lot, 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 lot of traveling. 260, 70 miles for a wanted man. And he's he's got to be covering trails that he knows. But, you know, Billy escapes April, was it 28? He shot in July. I mean, there's certainly enough time there. It doesn't make that much sense to me. And if he does go there, doesn't Doc say, hey, kid, listen up. Remember our glory days back in the cheese factory? Nobody was shooting at us. Nobody was trying to kill us. We'd sell a little cheese, score a couple babes, have a drink or two. Well, you can still do that, kid. Just don't go back to New Mexico because you just killed two deputies, one of them a U.S. deputy marshal, and Garrett's going to be coming for you. Don't stay here because they know me, but go somewhere else in Texas. Don't you think Doc would have given him that fatherly advice if they had that final meeting? I mean, did nothing Doc say register with Billy? So it could have happened, but I think it's a long shot. It's 167 additional miles once you get to Fort Sumner. And that's a long trip to make two ways, especially if the reason you're staying in New Mexico is you've got a sweetheart in Fort Sumner. Right? If you, whoever it is, Paulita, DeLuvina, whoever, Tracy Lords, whoever your sweetheart is in Fort Sumner, don't you want to spend time with her because you know <laughs> you think your time could be short or at least it's going to be short and you being able to stay in New Mexico. So I don't know about that. Again, it could have happened, but looking at the logistics of it, uh, I'm going to say probably not. And since Billy's trajectory didn't seem to change one iota, he was either shot and killed in Fort Sumner or he shot his way out of Fort Sumner as brushy Bill Roberts. Well, if he got any advice from Doc, he sure didn't take it. Unless Doc told him, hey, why don't you go back and live it up till they kill you? But I don't think so. Although maybe when you look at Doc's, you know, later, really starting at this point, but for the rest of his life, refusing to talk about Billy the Kid, the Lincoln County War, you know, any of that violence earlier in his life, maybe that's why. Maybe it was with the great regret that, hey, this kid was my friend. I respected him. Some ways, maybe even loved him. And I couldn't save him. He showed up on my doorstep in Tascosa, Texas, and I couldn't save him. I couldn't turn him around. 
but I don't think it happened. I don't think it did. I think Billy had other things on his mind other than Doc Skurlock. And those other things had hips and boobs. So that's my two cents. All right. So what happened to Doc afterwards? Well, we'll tell you right about that right after this. We're not nearly near the end of Doc Skurlock's life, but we're really at the end of his history, at least as it relates to those interested in Billy in the Lincoln County War. During the break, I just got an, uh, a message on one of the, uh, on the, my interview with Scott Skurlock. Another person, I didn't learn anything here. This guy doesn't know anything about Doc, blah, 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 blah. You missed the point. You just missed the point. People don't know much about Doc because Doc didn't want much to be known. And that in itself is fascinating to me, but whatever. All right. So Doc moves around Texas, comes a teacher in Vernon, Moves to Cleburne, Granbury, Maybank, and then Eastland. Maybank is near my place in Texas. Son of a bitch, Doc. It's on the banks of the Cedar Creek Reservoir, which would have not been there back in uh, the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I got 10 miles away on Calendar Lake. Well, it would have been, I don't know what the creek is because Calendar Lake wasn't there either. But I wonder if Doc ever went fishing in the creek that was dammed up to make the lake that I live on. Son of a bitch. wonder if he ever caught the great-great-grandfather bass of, <laughs> of one of the bass I caught. But uh, in any event, Doc winds up in Eastland, Texas. And uh, that's where he spends the uh, rest of his days. Uh, Doc winds up having, hang on a second, let me get you the right number here. Uh, Doc and Antonia Herrera have 10 children. There's a nice picture of them together. Doc looks like, I'm trying to think who he looks like. He's, uh, I've seen this picture. It looks like he has blonde hair. He was known to have lighter hair, although some pictures it definitely looks darker. But, um, the uh he just looks like somebody i can't i can't tell you who it is but he's got the great mustache all the time and they have 10 kids and you look at one of his sons in the picture his older son kind of looks exactly like him i mean the same kind of hair got the same facial shape that kid just needs a mustache and he's doc jr but uh 10 kids i told you doc it's good that he um <laughs> that he married a young woman because, you know, 10 kids takes, eh, you know, a, you, nine months for pregnancy. Um, I don't see any that look like twins. And you got to have some time in between to be able to conceive again. So it's 12, 15 years, 20 years, maybe. So Doc, uh, Doc knew what he was doing. I, you know, back then, obviously, you had to be more self-sufficient. But how do you support 10 kids? Like today, how do you support 10 children? But Doc made it work. Uh, he apparently just hangs up his guns. He keeps only a shotgun for the rest of his days. That's just for hunting. 
to be able to uh, put food on the table. That's one of the ways you feed 10 kids. Uh, but he never picks up a firearm in anger again. And he never speaks of the Lincoln County War. Or Billy the Kid. Amazing that you had all this information and knowledge and you didn't share any of it. Antonia dies in 1919, but Doc uh, lives on until 1929, 80 years old when he passes, has a heart attack in his home in Eastland and he's buried in the Eastland City Cemetery, Eastland, Texas. Number of other Scurlock family members buried there as well. 1929, you go back, you just think about it. Walter Burns Noble is interviewing anybody he can find from the Lincoln County War in 1925. And in 1926, his book, The Saga of Billy the Kid, comes out and reignites the world's fascination with the young outlaw. Did Burns Noble ever reach out to Doc, send him a letter, send a courier there, go by? Or did Doc sit on the porch with his shotgun as, as uh, uh, Burns starts to walk up the walkway and Doc just wags his finger like, eh, 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 don't do it. Who knows? But by that point, who would have known more about Charlie's dead, Folliard's dead, Brewer's dead, Tunstall's dead, McSween's dead, right? Who would have known more about Billy by that point in his life? Pat Garrett, but Pat Garrett talked about Billy and, you know, said he killed him in 1881. So there wasn't much more to tell. Pat Garrett wasn't part of the Lincoln County War. The guy that saw him through it all the way from Billy's earliest days on the border of Arizona and New Mexico, really right up until, you know, he leaves uh, Fort Sumner in 1879, Doc leaves and says, hey, you know, I've had enough of this. He would have been the guy that could have provided the detail. All the questions you have today about the war, about the five-day battle, about all these things, Doc Skurlock probably could have answered a number of them. But he made the decision, nope, not going to talk about it. Just not interested. Farmer, doctor, teacher, Spanish translator, spent lots of time with his kids and a number of grandkids wrote poetry in his spare time. So that part at least was true from the uh, doc uh, of Young Guns fame. I'm a poet carrying flowers and a gun. It's a big gun. It's a big town. <laughs> That's my favorite line. It's a big town. That and let's get the hell back to Lubbock from the Buddy Holly story. Those are my two favorite movie lines. So all that was mortal of Doc Skurlock left the earth July 25, 1929, and took a treasure trove of historical data with him. I wonder what Doc felt. He obviously would have heard it, whether he saw Billy or not in those final months, he would have heard what had happened. I wonder what he thought. Maybe he had to turn himself off because he would have been enraged at Garrett for killing Billy, if Garrett did in fact kill Billy. And Doc had to wipe those thoughts from his mind so he didn't go murdering a lawman? I don't know. 
But I wonder what he thought as he spent the, you know, days, weeks, and months after that. Did he fondly remember Billy? Did he think, oh my gosh, my buddy's gone. This could have been so different. Or was it maybe they weren't as close as we, you know, as, as uh, legend would portray. And maybe he thought, oh, oh, well, another one bites the dust. I'm going to go to Maybank and go fishing. Don't know. We don't know because Doc Skurlock is the enigma of the Lincoln County War. Took part in every major battle. Was there from the beginning until the end and beyond saw some of the uh, most historical events unfold right before his eyes and then zipped his mouth shut, locked it, and threw away the key. That is all we have to say about Josiah Gordon Doc Skurlock. We'll be right back. Hey, we're back. Last bit of Doc Skurlock cleanup. Young Guns Skurlock, portrayed by actor Kiefer Sutherland, shows up in Young Guns 2, um, where he rightfully should have been, but he should not have been killed at the shootout at Stinking Springs. But apparently, uh, oops, no, we will not take that call. Nope, sorry, working. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, Sutherland's uh, wife is... Uh, if I remember right, was pregnant and uh, he needed uh, he needed to, to get the like he didn't want to be on set for the whole time. Uh, as it turns out, though, there's a after the spirit world type deal. You can't tell he's in the spirit world. Uh, that you see Doc riding uh, into the village with uh, his bandana across his face, hat, and his duster on. Uh, that's because. Um, that wasn't Kiefer Sutherland. That was his photo double. He had, uh, had to leave, um, yeah, because his wife was giving birth. So, um, there you go. Uh, but, uh, Doc Skurlock never went back to become a school teacher in the city of New York. That never happened. Didn't take the celestial yin son. Didn't take her as a wife. Um, so all that just a, uh, just an invention for the movie. Um, Skurlock's name is mentioned in the movie Chisholm, but again, at the end, there's a, there's a big fight out where, or there's a big shootout and there's like half a dozen extras background actors that are supposed to be Skurlock and Bowdry and others, but they're never, they're not credited actors and you don't know who's supposed to be playing who, and they don't have any dialogue. So Skurlock doesn't play really any part other than his name in the uh, John Wayne film Chisholm. All right. So, uh, hey, I got a uh, early movie review, which I'm going to read you from Mel Hubna. And uh, it got Mel some early access to watch the final trial of Billy the Kid since we're still waiting on Amazon. And uh, so here it is. I thought I would read it to you. Um, I found this to be a brilliant film. Well, brilliant. Wow. <laughs> I found this to be a brilliant film, well-researched and with some evidence I've never heard nor seen before. While watching, I found myself feeling like I was right in the courtroom. Fantastic acting from the entire cast, especially Thomas Fears as dear old brushy Bill. I was happy with the verdict as it couldn't have been anything else considering all of the evidence put before the jury. Highly recommended for both Billy the Kid enthusiasts and those who love a fast paced courtroom drama. So there you go. First uh, movie review of the final trial of Billy the Kid. And uh, maybe someday you'll get to see it even. 
<laughs> but you know, let's not get crazy. Uh, but anyway, that, that's our recap of Doc Skurlock, uh, probably Chavez y Chavez. Next, uh, since I have a personal connection in that I had his new tombstone in my truck and hauled it from Albuquerque out to Milagro, New Mexico, and helped set it in place uh, to remark his grave that had gone unmarked since the 1980s uh, and working with the guys at the at the Billy the Kid's Historical Coalition. And so uh, I'll tell you all about that, and we'll investigate Chavez's uh, interesting life on both sides of the law. Um, and he was uh, sentenced to the death penalty at one point, but uh, they didn't they didn't kill him. Uh, you know, Mother Nature, Old Man Time got him in the end. But in any event, that'll all be next time on All Things Billy. And for this time, I want to say thanks very much. Be safe out there, and we'll talk to you soon. 